0: Here's the thing. I can't heal you. You can't do everything that I did and have the same outcome. My path is my path alone. However, I can tell you my story in hopes that it will inspire you to know yourself deeper, to connect to your inner divine self, and to remember that you are whole and you are love. The body can heal itself if you get out of your own way and there are a lot of badass humans living their divine purpose that can share their wisdom and mirror your divine self back to you until you believe and embody it as truth i'm brittany dobbs and this is waves of love we are here on the first episode with a guest of waves of love and today I have Tina Nance here with me today. And I've known Tina for about five years uh, when I first started training with her, which I'll get into in a little bit. Um, but I'm just gonna ping it over to Tina to tell us a little bit
1: about what she does. Hi, everyone. I'm Tina Nance, and I'm the founder of Held, which is the School of Embodied Self-Integration. Uh, we run classes, retreats, teacher trainings. We have six 100-hour programs that explore uh, different aspects of embodiment.
0: Well, so I have taken some of those teacher trainings and I um, actually met Tina first in 2018, which was about a year into my healing journey for my brain injury. And um, I took, she was, she was one of the teachers on the training and she came in, did her thing, and I had an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this moment where through a yin class, which we will also talk about later, Um, I had dropped so deeply within myself, deeper than I had before, because I was very disconnected from my body before. And I just had this moment of like a rush of connection, of joy, of, and I associated it with self-love. I was like, oh my God, because a little bit before in the training, I had had a moment where I was like, oh, my gosh, I love my body. Mm. And that was the first time in, right. like, 30 my thirty years of life that I could say that I loved my body.
1: What inspired that moment, I love my body?
0: You know, I had been doing IFS, um, which is mm. Internal Family Systems, yeah. which is a modality for, like, psychotherapy. Yeah. And um, I'd just been diving deeper. And also, I think by the time you came to teach, it had been about... A week and a half so we've been doing a lot of yoga and breath work, self-inquiry all of that and mm-hmm. so um I think just from the background of talking about that with my therapist and talking about you know my inner child and doing inner work and learning yeah. about sensations and emotions and because I really hadn't done any of that before
1: right um so it was like a culmination each moment led to that moment mm-hmm.
0: yeah and I had um I had started that work actually before my accident. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so then when I had the accident, it like basically took away all my coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. and everything just flooded in, Mm -hmm. which was fantastic that I had already started understanding that I can find sensations and connect with the emotions
1: and allow it all kind of move through. So often when we start on that path of healing, that's things need to fall apart in order to come back together. Do you have that experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and it happens, you know, Multiple times in life.
1: (laughs) Indeed. Never ending spiral. (laughs) But I had one
0: quite very large one. Yeah, that's right. You know? Um, But so all of that kind of brought me to that moment where I was, like, in these postures and allowed things to move through, and Mm -hmm. it just was, like, gush, which is also why I called it Waves of Love, the podcast. Right. Yeah, because I've had these moments throughout this six years of healing from my brain injury. Yeah. Yeah. that they're just these, like, deep moments of connection to the body. And you it know? feels like
1: these embodied waves of love mm-hmm. somatically feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And it's like just you're so connected to the body, but you're also so connected to yeah. everything else. Yeah. And it's just, it's almost like you get plugged into a light socket.
1: That's right. I yeah. mean, that's definitely my experience, that the body is like a conduit for our essence, mm-hmm. and that it speaks through our body. Our soul speaks through our body. Mm. And that there's ways of kind of, connecting with the language, the voice of the body that allows that to amplify mm-hmm. through our practices. Absolutely. What
0: is the phrase that you say all the time? Um, our body is, oh my gosh, I'll come back to it because it is, it's a, it's a key phrase that you say a lot huh. that has to do People with People
1: often tell me the things yeah. that I say and I'm saying, I oh. say them
0: <laughs> <laughs> It's all those like nuggets that when you're just yeah, speaking from they your just heart come through doing your thing, they're just yeah, channeled through you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, so that kind of moment of, like, the self-love, this connection in, is then
1: what kind of led me to wanting to dive deeper into your work. Mm. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So it was the yin practice where you were dropping into your body and just allowing whatever was present to arise.
0: Yeah, and I think it also had to do with, because when you do yin, you don't just do yin, you do a lot of other things within that. And I think um, you did the embodied unwinding as well which we'll talk a little bit more about yeah but that was just a new like I was able to really fully kind of start noticing what's going on inside
1: yeah I mean I think that's really the beauty of yoga and any embodiment practice is that it truly is a self inquiry so this is something you and I have spoken about um, previously is that what I'm really passionate about like as a practitioner as well my own practice but also as a teacher is to really develop direct pathways, direct connections to our own internal truth. Because on my path, like I was inspired by spirituality, but it it ended up feeling like a continuum of the same seeking outside of myself to know who I was. So what eventually has been the big turnaround for me that, that um, has really deepened my practice and my own well-being is really developing this sense of self-trust. And self-trust only arises for me from a place of self-inquiry, when I'm not cognitively listening to philosophy or listening to other people's concepts about the way things are, where I'm being guided back towards my own truth and learning how to listen to my own truth. And I think for all of us, there are as many pathways to our own truth as there are human beings. And what I like to really encourage with my teaching is to discover your own way, to discover your own path. So what that's been for me has been the body. The pathway has been listening to the communication of my body and starting to really um, learn how to dialogue with the body um, to reveal my essence, my soul and often that will show up as all the places where my body is contracted and stuck. It will show me where I have been believing ideas that are borrowed from outside of me that are not in alignment with my truth, and I'm unpacking that history from my tissues. But it's also a practice that allows me to really constantly tune into the present moment and all that arises through the, the um, spaciousness that presence allows, you know, that like that soul essence can speak through that space that the body allows me to enter into.
0: Okay, so I love that. And you're so incredible at teaching other people how to, Mm. or guiding people how to drop within themselves, if that's the way that works for them, Yeah, Yeah. Um, But I know you've been on this like very long winding journey like all of us. When did you notice that the body became like that piece? Was there
1: one moment or maybe, you know? I think, I mean, it's, it's just who I am and always have been. Like when I um, was little, I'm, I felt, I, I'm such a sensitive being like yourself. I'm such a sensitive being that I feel so much internally that my body is kind of a way of moving and processing that since I was little. Mm-hmm. You know, I would kind of go into my bedroom and just kind of dance and throw myself around and just to, to kind of move through whatever I was feeling. And then um, as I got older, there was this uh, continued connection to embodied practices that were more like dance oriented. And then I found yoga early. I found it in my early 20s. And in that part of my life, I was already in a place of like deep internal curiosity and, and spiritual inquiry. So as soon as I got onto the yoga mat, I started noticing that inside my yoga practice, and certainly when I got off the mat, there were these radical shifts in how I was feeling. I would notice that I'd be inside a posture and big floods of emotion would come up. I'd get really pissed off inside some (laughs) postures. Or there'd be like a flood of memories or grief. Or, you know, often in in yoga I cry. And I got really curious about that. I wanted to know why when I put my body in a certain shape... All of a sudden there was a flood of emotional memory or you know i could see that my physical body was directly connected to my emotional body to my uh, mental body and also like we just touched on i noticed that it was also connected to my intuitive body my spirit body through practices i would have a shift in consciousness which in the beginning felt like i had access to just feelings like Mm. I just felt good after my practice but also I noticed I would also receive aha moments I'd receive insights I'd it'd be a place where I could go to to find clarity Mm. where things would just get quiet externally enough that I could tap inside Mm -hmm. and then that just became something that I just um, got really curious around and just dove deeper and deeper into and there was I continued practice. I was practicing every day because I loved it so much. But also I started studying a lot. So that's when there was a lot of the kind of external referencing. But it gave me context. I looked at lots of different systems, Chinese medicine system, um, kinesiology system, so many different perspectives of how the mind-body-spirit are connected. And via looking at those maps and then exploring those maps in my own direct experience through my body, that's when things started to really ripen and, and deepen and that's just continued ad infinitum mm. <laughs> like yeah that's my that's my life
0: do you think that do you think that people have to reference externally before they can reference internally
1: i mean i think we're born that way mm-hmm. you know like we come in as little babies that don't have any structure and we're taught how to function we're taught language we're taught you know my name is this i'm a woman i'm a you know i So we we have all these particular ways of defining who we are and and learning how we function that we learn through our parents. But then that just continues, right? Then we go to um, school and we learn through our teachers and teachings. All the books that we're reading are defined by, you know, I think that's just the way we grow as humans. But eventually I think what happens, and unfortunately it seems to happen through suffering. I
0: know, right? that's been my experience anyway, maybe it's not
1: everyone's. Yeah, I mean, that's right, maybe it's not everyone's, but I certainly notice for myself that when all the truths or the things that I borrowed from the outside, they're not aligned with my truth, Mm -hmm. it hurts. It it causes discomfort in the body, it causes pain in the body, it causes disease, right? So eventually I think, at least for myself, there was, it got to a point where there was um where my suffering was kind of showing me what i was believing what i was thinking mm-hmm. and then starting to unpack what i was thinking what what was borrowed truth and what was really my own so there was this process of unwinding unraveling and unpacking the kind of borrowed stuff and then at the same time this process of learning how to connect to my own internal knowing mm-hmm. so an unpack and a rebuild you know that i think just I mean, it's continuous continuous. every day. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think for the for me, that experience, like when I said that everything just came rushing in, Mm. and then it was just like, oh my gosh, I have to like pick through all the deconditioning, all of the you know the social constructs, the religion, just. The, my entire life just kind of halted. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, now I need to lay in bed because I can't really do a whole lot with this brain injury. Right. And then we're going to have to process 30 years of emotions because I was completely shut yeah. off from of my emotions. Like, And so I think that's what was so impactful when I came to Bali. I was doing my 200-hour, and then I found this like whole, because my yoga journey started like a year, I went pretty quickly into yoga after my accident, mm. and the only way I could do it though was showing up and um, in a studio. I would wear earplugs, and I would have a heart rate monitor on because if my heart got too my heart rate got too high, I would get really dizzy. And if I had too much input sensory wise, I couldn't I couldn't
1: practice. It would raise my heart rate. Talk about fine tuning to your body's communication. Right. So that was
0: like it yeah. was a really beautiful experience yeah. because of that. Yeah. Um, and so then I come in and it's like, I've done a little IFS and then it's like, oh, now let's like really feel into what's going on in the body. Where is it tight? Where is it giving
1: you sensations? Yeah, I love it. I feel like, um, on the spiritual path, there's kind of the spiritual lens and then the psychological lens. And what I love about IFS, internal family systems is how it really marries those two, Mm -hmm. you know, like I feel like in a lot of spiritual Um, practices, there is this concentration on the aha moments. There's a concentration on connecting with higher self and just being in higher self, you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, and that can lead, doesn't necessarily, but it did for myself and certainly in people around me that I observed, it can lead to shadowing parts of your humanness mm-hmm. and only wanting to be in one part of yourself and other parts so get denied <laughs> yeah that's right yeah. and but it it's um it's kind of the opposite to wholeness you know there is this sense of only mm-hmm. wanting to be in what we deem as um, good or comfortable and then having to like you know mm-hmm. and that creates projection and judgment and a whole lot of complications right so either this sense of like um this goal of not enough have to get somewhere and be in this certain place all the time or um Adversely, and through the psychological lens, can be like no connection necessarily to a broader sense of self. And I'm this smaller self, and I'm broken, and I need to do all this stuff to get mm-hmm. fixed. But what I love about IFS is that my experience, and you know, I'm be curious about your own, but my experience has been: how do we anchor in that sense of self, mm-hmm. with you know, the adult self, the higher self? How do we anchor in that? But then from that place, how do we then go in? And re-parent and re-love, basically, Mm -hmm. all the fragmented smaller selves back into wholeness. Mm -hmm. And that, for me, is like really that merging of, yes, we go up and out, and we connect to our causal being, our spirit being, but then, you know, we're here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Then it comes back down through the body, and it integrates into, you know, the world, into our lives, and Mm -hmm. to do that seems to be this process of, Re, um, I call it a soul retrieval, you know, at mm-hmm. like this, like bringing in the parts that got lost on the way. Yeah. And, and for me, I love that this podcast is called waves of love because for me, what's been really crucial in that is compassion, mm-hmm. like the fragmented parts or the beliefs that are misaligned with my truth on some level, they're believing something about, um, disconnection from love. Some part of me not being worthy, some part of me not being lovable, some message that I received about love or lovability or safety, mm-hmm. or and the rewiring seems to happen with giving those parts the love, whatever that looks like. That looks like a million different things, right? But giving those parts the love that they didn't receive in that moment to, to reframe the messages. So that, that context of, um, yeah, as, as corny as it might sound that love really is the answer it that is the like answer, yeah. that it's who we are that it's our soul essence and we're just realigning with love mm-hmm. you
0: know mm-hmm. yeah and i think i was going to go back to a piece where you were talking about where we go up and out yeah and how um i think i had to experience that first Yes, to know that connection to wholeness and oneness.
1: Absolutely. Before
0: I could fully embrace my body. Totally. You know, Uh, and then and then it's like each of those parts that we talk about that we're giving compassion, it's like they show up every day. It's like the different pieces, or a new one will show up, and so it's kind of just an ongoing unfolding of like bringing yourself back into. Wholeness oneness, but like within the body and yeah. being fully present here on this earth
1: a hundred percent I mean, you know before we were kind of touching on this idea of how the body communicates our alignment or misalignment with soul mm-hmm. so the way that that works certainly in my own experience and it's what I offer for people to explore in their own self-inquiry is that when we're um, Believing thoughts that are not our truth that the body literally contracts that there's something that happens that I don't need to go into the science of it But that happens in the fluid in our fascia where there's literally a signaling of the body of contraction and Adversely when we're aligned with what's really true for us Then there's this openness and this flow and this rhythm and this spaciousness in the body so when we learn to be present when we learn to be here in the body, we can listen to that moment to moment. We can hear when, you know, that, that thing that happens every day when we're inside a part that's like, you know, that voice in the head that's telling us something that isn't true, we can notice it in the body. That mm-hmm. can be our, like, wake up. And then we, oh, okay, what is it that I'm thinking? What does that part have to say? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the IFS edition that I love that's then like, what does that part need? You know, rather than just like, oh, that's not true, get rid of that part, which can also just be sitting on, you know, um, shadowing those parts, shadowing that voice, trying to get rid of or annihilate or eliminate that voice, to really welcome that part in. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a hard thing to believe. Yeah, And you've but, talked about those two like wings, what is yeah, it, loving, The
0: presence. two wings
1: of presence, so yeah, I love this. This is from Tara Brack, okay. who's like, one of my favorite um, teachers, a female Buddhist psychologist. She has um, uh, something she talks about, the two wings of presence. Um, One of those wings being, we could describe it as, you know, more of a masculine wing, you know, through a particular yogic lens of Shiva Shakti. One being this kind of unwavering presence that's, you know, here, uh, undivided, right there, you know, being here in the moment, that um, spacious awareness consciousness. But then the, the other wing is this wing of tenderness and kindness Mm -hmm. and patience and compassion and nurturing and I've certainly in my own experience (laughs) been like just showing up and being present with myself particularly in traumatic events has not been sufficient for transmutation. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been sufficient for my nervous system to calm down that's for sure. What is required for me in those moments of healing and transformation is yeah deep compassion Mm -hmm. and love. And then,
0: do you do you believe that we need both of those wings in order for that expansion and like to notice that expansion within us?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, again, this is very individual, mm-hmm. but I feel like, for me, when I anchor into love, that brings me into a place of presence. Whereas for others, when they anchor into presence, that brings them into a place of love. I think they're two faces of the same coin, um, so, yeah, I think that for most of us, if we sink deep enough into one or the other, the other shows up. There's just the two wings. entry points. That's right. Mm-hmm. I think so. That's that's certainly what it feels like for me. There's just dropping into that place of soul wholeness. You know, whatever whatever way works, mm-hmm.
0: right? Mm-hmm. So,
1: okay, going through that. So,
0: um, when I started experiencing that within the 200 hour, yeah. I decided to sign up for a hundred hour teacher training, mm-hmm. which was the week after my 200 hour, I believe. Or like I had a week in between. I mean, it was crazy. I was like a year out of my accident and I was just like full on going in, but it was great. But you I know? love that about
1: you, Brittany. You're I mean, like, let's go. Let's do this. Right. right? Let's do this.
0: <laughs> now or never. Right. Um, and so... Yeah, so I signed up for this embodied feminine training, and I had just, for the first time in my life, realized that I loved my body. Mm-hmm. I definitely didn't know what my body was like as a woman at right. that point. I hadn't really explored that. Right. I really didn't know what I was signing up for in this embodied feminine, but I knew that like I wanted to know more about how we can get an access in the body deeper like that, because yeah. I had this like deep connection, I'm like I want more isn't it that? Isn't that it? You always want more of it. Yeah. Um, and then we just kind of learn little by little how to always be in that. Or, yeah. Yeah. How to integrate that? How to integrate it? Yeah. Mm. Um, but if we could talk about a little bit about the embodied feminine yeah. training and like how you kind of got to that point of teaching, uh, teaching that and teaching the
1: embodiment. And I know there's a lot more to that. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's very. It's aligned with what we've already been discussing to some degree. I feel like um, the journey of the embodied feminine has been a profound journey of self-trust for me. Because my background um, of study has been through relatively masculine lenses. And what I mean is they were practices created for men, by men, and written in texts through the masculine lens. So, um, you know, my background is in things like Taoism and Chinese medicine, Buddhism and yoga. And they've been incredibly valuable. I think we're all both masculine, feminine energies, more um, a, a way to describe that outside of kind of the gender role, which is be yin and yang. I think we're kind of a, a combination of those things. And yet a lot of the practices that I've been exposed to were a little bit more on the yang side or the the masculine side and so what i mean by that is through the yogic lens for example we talk about shiva and shakti and shiva is the unpotentialized formless spaciousness yeah. it's that background of awareness that's holding and embracing and including all things and then shakti is everything inside of that so it's the expression of that awareness through form so a lot of the practices that i was exploring were a, a little more centered around, and also I got more into non-dual practices and meditation practices that were more centered around um, you are not the mind, you are this broader awareness. And yet, in my own experience, what was connecting me most deeply to that sense of truth and source and um, knowing, but also vibrancy and fullness and aliveness and love, um, were the practices that uh, that were through my body, that were allowing my body to surrender, and we'll get more into this, but to surrender more and more open so that my mind was not necessarily directing the practice. In other words, I didn't have an idea I'm going to do A, B, C, and D asanas in order to have A, B, C, and D effect. It was really just dropping into my body and letting my body move and unwind how it wanted to reveal It's knowing to me from the inside out. I started um, exploring these kind of surrendered practices where what I was experiencing, a way to define it, would be that 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 vast intelligence of consciousness expressing itself through form that's called Shakti was moving through my being. So in that way, that felt like a very feminine practice and it wasn't being described to me. In, in the yoga that I was exposed to and a lot of the systems I was exposed to, we were moving the body to get into a more sattvic state to be ready for seated meditation. And yet for me, the meditative experience was happening through the movement. The insight and clarity was coming through surrender to this energy that was moving and unwinding my body and so that felt like a practice that i had to i had to really develop trust around i didn't have any role models i didn't have people that were speaking to that or talking about that i wasn't learning that in a book yeah <laughs> it was like this was just happening from mm-hmm. the inside up my body was my teacher and so that's where that path of like really learning to trust that and then also like we were just touching on rather than my meditation just being about the development of equanimity it was very much about Developing heart-centered meditation, um, self-compassion, these what felt like more feminine qualities, you know. So there was this sense of really wanting to embody this surrender, this embodied surrender through movement and this embodied daily practice of self-compassion. So that sort of started me off on this feminine path. And I got really curious, are there other people out there doing this, teaching this? Because when female lineages weren't written down, they were where they existed, in small pockets, they were all oral traditions. Um, they, you know, It was hard to kind of find that anywhere outside of myself, which I guess is the beauty of it. It's a yin inside-out practice. But that's really how the feminine practices started, and then they evolved into, evolved into many other things that we can talk about. Mm. But that's the, the birthing of it, is that inside-out flow. And that was...
0: So that was like so early on in my journey and you know we can get into more of that as well a little mm-hmm. bit later but because I've been able to progress to experience that myself. Yeah. But maybe not necessarily I wasn't understanding it as like the shakti or the
1: feminine. Yeah. I was understanding it in different ways totally. And I think I think what's important at the end like for me For me, those definitions were helpful to a point, and then they weren't. Mm -hmm. Then I needed to let go of, it It doesn't matter what it's called, or what it is, or what it's defined as, it was really just about the experience. But wanting to create some context for like, okay, this is, to understand what this unwinding really was. So just to give a little more context to the experience that Brittany and I are talking about, um, I would come to the yoga mat, drop into my body, and let my body start to, I really would just be noticing, oh, there's some tension here. I'm gonna bring some awareness there. What does that part of my body want to do? And it would start to unwind, and then it would bring me into another part, and then another part, and all of a sudden, it was like this this dance, this unwinding. I call it embodied unwinding. And then inside of that, there would be a lot of emotional content, you know, like uh, all kind of emotional textures moving through. And a lot of memory and a lot of just this process of unraveling that would then eventually open to that portal of insight that mm. we were touching on and all of that kind of happening through the body. So I got curious, okay, if this is happening to me, are there other people exploring this and what are they calling it? And that's when I met several different teachers. One of our um, teachers that we've both explored with, her name's Michaela Bohem. She teaches incredible work called nonlinear Movement, um, and it's... Her way of um, exploring that is getting people just to rest on all fours and allow their bodies to start to move. And she'll describe it to some degree as trauma unwinding from the system. Um, I've I've learned with other teachers, there's a, a, another system where I, I the teacher describes it as the fluid inside, like under the skin line, moving, and energy moving mm-hmm. through the fluid, which I definitely relate to as a yin yoga teacher, understanding the fluid and the fascia, how the meridian pathways move through the fluid and the fascia. So we could just see it as kind of energy unwinding, the energy body unpacking. There are yogic systems that would talk about it as kundalini. And what I noticed in my... Exploration looking for context was that each of those contexts they have their own weight. Like when I was hearing people talking about Kundalini, I have mental associations with Kundalini that I was like, Oh, no, mm. I you know, that wasn't something I wanted to explore. Whereas other people have a completely different narrative around Kundalini and are very comfortable with calling it that. So I think what I'm trying to express is that there are lots of people having very similar experiences defining it as something different. And eventually those definitions can have association that can either be expanding or limiting, and ultimately they don't really matter. What matters is feeling safe enough and creating safe containers for ourselves or for others if we're wanting to be teachers, um, for people to, to, to be able to listen inside and trust that it's safe to let their bodies unpack and unwind in that way. It's really about, I think I was really looking for context for safety.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, like, I was going to ask that, because when I came to the mat in that training, I didn't feel safe in my body. Yeah. And so it was a definitely a different experience from what I've experienced now, yeah. but it was a very good, like, planting the seed, yeah. right? Because I was still able to drop in and start feeling the sensations of what's going on, but I wasn't able to allow the energy to really, I think maybe it happened, like, one time, like, yeah. for a small moment in the
1: training... Um, But I'm really curious because for me it was a a process over many years of meeting all the individual fears that were arising, what it was that I was afraid would happen Mm -hmm. if I surrendered to this Mm -hmm. place. You know, all the reasons that we um, attach to control and because the safety that control gives us and what it would take to give that up, to trust the unknown in that way. I think that's a very personal process. But I'm curious about what that was for you, like what would you say has allowed you to feel safer in your body in that journey? What's been the, have there been steps that you could track or is it? It,
0: I would say there are a few steps that I could definitely track and I'm sure there's been so much more because, I mean, you know, our journeys are so, yeah, so intricate and have so many pieces and so much unraveling. But I would say what I was doing is, I was doing Dr. Joe Dispenza's work. And, um, so this was beginning of 2021, middle 2021, um, and so I, that's, you know, only a couple of years ago. So when we were together, it was in 2018, and so I was, like, just starting to feel into my body. Um, so a lot of things happened in between that. Mm. But what happened was is I went to his retreat, and I really didn't know much about him. Um, To be honest, I'd only read his book becoming supernatural. and was like cool. I think this is the next step just following my intuition. Yeah Uh, and when I got there he had he um, Had started doing the he does What is it called blessing of the energy centers? So that's what he calls it but you're basically tracking chakras or whatever you want to do but the seven energy centers in the body yeah and He did it a new way where we were laying down while he was doing that and so yoga nidra which I had done I mean I I was introduced to that a little bit before my yoga training my 200 hour and then Simone introduced more which we're going to talk to her on the podcast Um, and then I like that was a deep practice for me and then I went and studied it with Kamini Desai Mm -hmm. so uh, yoga nidra was like a huge healing practice for me Me too. yeah it's incredible Um, and also yoga nidra sleep meditation so but it goes through the koshas, which are the different layers of the body, and uh, it brings you into these brainwave healing states yeah. where your body can basically heal itself. Repair. And repair and release things that need to be let go. Um, Deeply nourishing for your nervous system. Definitely. definitely. nourishing. Definitely. And, you know, actually, to be honest, that in that training with Kamini, the 100-hour um, yoga nidra training, mm-hmm. I did have some... Unwinding happen. My body moved itself through right. that because um, I did. It's when I feel safe within the container. When I feel safe, like with the teacher, that is. So that's what I'm curious about. Yeah. What
1: do you think was present in that moment that allowed that s- safety for you? I have to trust the people that are around me.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I have to really, because
0: if you're, I actually had a conversation with somebody about this recently, and um, they were saying that at points because. Well, this is like sort of a tangent. So we'll try to keep it brief. Mm. But basically, when you're in those deeper states of healing, you could also potentially be in what the nervous system state is freeze, the dysregulated Absolutely. nervous system. But you could potentially hold both. Yeah. And so I'm really curious about that and I haven't really dug into that much yeah. yet, but that's yeah. like definitely something I want to look at because the freeze state is something I'm really noticing like dissociation has been a huge part of my journey. Yeah.
1: Um But even though that might have been... And can I say what an incredible job you're doing of bringing yourself back online. Thank you. Like I've known you now for five years and watching your journey through your body and developing that self-trust and developing that relationship with the body and watching what you've been able to move through and um, hold Mm -hmm. and embrace and transmute and... It's such a beautiful thing to witness your journey. Thank really? you. Yeah, Thank you. I really want to acknowledge you. It takes you. courage. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you've been thriving on the journey. Thank you. Yeah. And
0: I've had incredible people like you to help guide me along the way, which is what I'm so excited to share on this podcast mm-hmm. is just all the different things that people could experience, the people yeah. that come into their lives. and. Um, but yeah so safety in the room and in the container is definitely something
1: yeah um so it's like there's this external safety what we would call in in um, nervous system regulation work mm -hmm. that's co-regulation and then what allows that trust for you within yourself do you think i believe i'm still learning that yeah i definitely think um there's
0: been some transitions lately of Noticing that I've really been needing the co-regulation yeah. and that uh, I can experience a deeper sense of self when I am having space help Excellent. for me.: What a
1: great thing to notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And so just noticing that and noticing when I am by myself that maybe it's not as easy to kind of come back into my body.
1: And maybe that's your body's way of saying to you right now, this is exactly what you need. Mm-hmm. You know? Like how does it feel for you after you know, a session of embodied unwinding? How does it feel to you to be held? Do you like to be physically touched and held, or do you just like someone in the space with you? What feels right for you?
0: You know, it's interesting. Along this journey, so I would say before the brain injury and everything, I didn't even want to be touched. Right. It was a really interesting, like,
1: very and That makes sense with the disconnection from the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't
0: want anyone near me. Mm-hmm. Now anyone can hug me at any time. Right. Please just, like, give me. And also the... Um, through the sensory, like percept, like proprioception, mm-hmm. um, like just that touch is like so important. Yeah,
1: it's grounding. It brings you
0: back here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But that's not always available, right? You know, it's right. not always available for everyone. So things that I will do is sometimes I like, got put pillows on myself. Yes. Um,
1: I know you have hugsy. So, in our training, we have a human sized teddy bear that sits in the corner. And so, you know, if you're moving through practices where there's vulnerability or fragility or you just feel like a cuddle, I mean, we all feel like cuddles, right? So, if there's not a human to hold you, you can, or if you don't, if you're not ready to be held by a human. But there is, we also teach practices in the nervous system work of like um, self hugging and self regulation with self touch. But there's also hugsy human-sized mm-hmm. teddy bear that you can go and give cuddles to. I highly recommend a human-sized <laughs> teddy bear available at all times.
0: <laughs> it's actually interesting because, like, when I've been in the trainings, that wasn't, like, it didn't resonate with me. Mm. And then recently, I think I just had, like, sort of a breakthrough, and I was like, oh, my God, this is what it feels like. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: You know, a really interesting experience. I was on a women's retreat a long time ago as a as a student, as, pre- as a receiver. And uh, – we would, you know, go through practices that brought up fragility and and then afterwards there was space for integration, which I loved. And there were like little half an hour periods and there was an invitation to either self-regulate, doing what, whatever you do, like sitting, uh, you know, holding your heart or being in nature, going for a walk, putting your bare feet on the ground, doing whatever you do to resource and regulate. Or you could co-regulate. You could co-regulate, meaning you could say to someone, which was scary, going, mm-hmm. would you mind me like yeah. you know these very difficult things to say um and in the beginning of the retreat I would say I mean I can't remember this could be wrong but let's just say about 80 percent of the room was self-regulated mm. and 20 percent were going could you could we have a cuddle and they probably had experience in that and that felt more comfortable with it by the end of the training I would say 95 percent were co-regulated mm. and I think in the beginning there was just this like oh no I've got it I'm good. I also you know, wouldn't have known,
0: I, wouldn't, I would have been like, I don't know who you are. Yeah, exactly. Are. Right. You. You know, Absolutely. Like, You're a stranger. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And over yeah. that week, you create that sense of trust and safety mm-hmm. with the other person like you mentioned before. Absolutely. I think for me, as the student, uh, there was definitely this sense of like, I don't think it's very socially acceptable to talk about our need for touch. Mm. I think there's a lot of loneliness and separation. I think that, um, you know, it, that I felt personally to go and ask someone, could I, could, would you mind, <laughs> could you, like it felt like I was potentially being needy or clingy mm-hmm. and perhaps that was just my own personal attachment wounds, you know. But as it very quickly normalised, you know. Like eventually when it was just okay to ask, then it started to feel like, why is it not okay to yeah. ask? Like yeah. To be able to say, yeah, you know, like... Can we, would you mind, Hold a bit? yeah, could you hold me? Mm-hmm. And how would you like to be touched? I'd just like you to hold my hand but sit looking that way so I don't feel, right. you know, mm-hmm. like it's not overwhelming. Okay, yeah, I'd love to do that for you. And we've done some what things do like need? that in your
0: training. Absolutely. You I been, incorporate like, it
1: more mm-hmm. and more now, and especially in the embodied feminine training now. Some people just want to lean back to back. They don't mm-hmm. want to look in anybody's eyes, but they just want to feel the warmth of a mammal behind mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And their nervous system goes, oh, like, yeah, I think it's... I definitely overlooked just how important human touch and co-regulation is to nervous system regulation and healing, you know, and yeah, I'm really into normalizing that. I, I um, studied and then now practiced something called attunement therapy, which is exactly that. It's, um, it can be done as, as a one-on-one therapy where for 90 minutes you're held. Held in any way that you choose, and it's a container where you get to. That
0: sounds great. Where do I sign up? It's amazing.
1: <laughs> it's amazing. Well, on the uh, <laughs> so we're including it on on our nervous system regulation oh, right. retreats now mm-hmm. as well. So you lie on the heartbeat, and so meaning you lie on on the chest of the of the practitioner, then you can hear the heartbeat, and it takes you back to that place of being inside the womb, and um, it's just it's incredibly recalibrating mm-hmm. for the nervous system. And so, yeah, I've done a lot of exploration in the power of touch mm-hmm. for, for for grounding and being here. Mm-hmm. You know, great for disassociation. You know, mm-hmm. like in small titrated, safe yeah, I can't ways. Yeah, can always be like, like full a on. thirty second hug might yeah. be enough. Let's start there.
0: <laughs> or just a little like, oh, you know, yeah.
1: like just side to side, like.
0: <laughs> I think in one. I think in one of the trainings, I was like. Can you scoot back a little bit? Yeah. I'm glad yeah. you're here, but like I need you to be a little farther yes. away from me. And
1: how great is it to be able to communicate mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I love that. Like, like I that's... don't need you
0: to touch me, just you can witness, but from farther
1: away. But you know what's so beautiful about that is that spoken from self attunement. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are not aware of that. You know, mm. that without your, your embodied awareness, there's a lot of people that would just be feeling weird and don't know. Why or how to ask for their needs, or that's the beauty of embodiment is that you can tune in and notice it doesn't feel good in my body for you to be that close. And that's when the contraction happens. Yes, that's mm-hmm. right. I need you to be, you know, there. In, uh, I have a background in what's called somatic experiencing. And in our training, when we sit down to do a session with someone, we literally decide where our chairs should be. Should they be here? Mm. What about if I sit here? Oh, yeah, that's much better. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that's too far away. What about here? Oh, yeah, that's it. And the way you're tracking what feels comfortable for you is. In the body, mm. you know. So the more aware we are of our bodies, the more self-aware we are in general. The body's such a barometer for our health and well-being. That's for the, the soul. word.
0: That's what you said. Oh, the there body's you go. a barometer for the soul.
1: You <laughs> <laughs> knew it had come up at some point. The tagline.
0: <laughs> there it is. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do people do though when they're dissociated? Yeah. You know.
1: I mean. G- what did you do? Yeah. I <laughs> crashed into a wall. Right. And then I
0: didn't have a choice but to yeah. figure it out and be back in my body. But that accident, like, I mean, took me so far out of my body yeah. that, like, I couldn't function. I yeah. couldn't, like, remember things. I couldn't. Yeah. I just, like, was
1: not available. Yeah. And so. Tell me the role that yoga has played in, like, your gently coming back into the body in safe ways. Well, when we talk about yoga, are we talking about asana? Are we talking about all of the, like, you know? Uh, Let's talk about asana or or the physical side of the practice. Okay, Okay, so the physical side of the practice.
0: Well, if we go back to before the accident, I couldn't feel anything, so I was... Seeking sensory experiences. Right. Extreme sensory experiences. Extreme, like skydiving, trekking with gorillas, like all these incredible experiences. You literally jumped out
1: of a plane. A
0: helicopter, actually. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) That'll do it. And so, which led me to the sledding accident, which is how I got my, you know, my injury. But um, I couldn't feel anything, so those would make me feel. And so... But I had just climbed Kilimanjaro um, and that was like June or July of 2017 and then my accident was of February of 2018. So I was doing like really intense like workouts. I was Mm -hmm. training hardcore. I was in the best shape of probably my life. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I hit this wall literally and (laughs) can't do any of those things. I can't do any of them. And I'm like, oh my god, what am I going to do? Right. And so, yoga hadn't. People had tried to get me to go to yoga classes before, and I was so uninterested. It was slow. It was boring. Like, <laughs> why am I here? Why am I doing this? Yeah. Like, I want to be in a spin class, and yeah. I want to kickbox, and you know, do all those like really high cardio activities. Yeah, makes sense, right? Um, and so then, like I said, so then it was the only option literally the only thing I could do. Because my heart rate wouldn't, I could manage it better. And and so then just like by putting those earplugs in and connecting in, it was such a strange experience. How beautiful. And then I moved to Tanzania, was looking for yoga trainings, and I literally just googled and like SOSA came up.
1: So tell me about that. Why did it go from uh, exploring practice to, I want to go and do a training and go even deeper. What, what started working?
0: Did it work or was I just trying to find what was next? I think it was a little bit of both. Got it.
1: you, see, um, you got on that trajectory of,
0: of, well, cause healing. I, everything had been taken away from me. Yes. Everything. And so I was like, who am I? What am I going to do? I didn't yeah. have my job anymore. I was starting a nonprofit in Tanzania. So that was very new. Um, and I just like basically kind of lost my, my previous self. And so yoga kind of gave me something to anchor mm, into. Yeah.
1: A new direction. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, and I literally, I went to, it was this beautiful studio that's no longer there called Interlight Yoga. And it married two of my favorite things. It was yoga to music. And so they
1: had incredible... I don't know. If, are you going to sing on your podcast at some point? At some point I will, maybe. She has an incredible voice. Brittany comes and sings at the end of my yoga trainings uh, when people are in Shavasana.
0: Mm-hmm. It's been fantastic. Um, yeah, so... Oh, I don't know where I was. What was
1: I saying? Um, you uh, going to the teacher training and... In... Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. So, the, so Inner Light. So I went every single day. Like every single day. Um, and so it just gave me something to kind of anchor into while I was experiencing basically full on breakdown and chaos yeah. in every other aspect.
1: And what started arriving through that daily practice?
0: More connection to my body. Yeah. You know, because I was listening to my breath yeah. and I was monitoring my heartbeat. Yeah. And then attuning
1: to its language. mm
0: -hmm. And so I was like, okay, how can I know more of this? Yeah. You know? And then that's what got me to Bali. Got it. And then it's just... And then we met. Yeah. And the rest is history. (laughs) And then it's just been one thing after another. And, like, the more and more that I attune, the more I can notice when I'm not in my body or not feeling safe or feeling contraction or also feeling expansion and feeling full-on connection.
1: Yeah. Amazing. I love it. Yeah. I think um when people are disassociated i think what's important is creating pathways that are aligned and attuned for them directly so it's about that self attunement of how to gently slowly in small little bites safely come back into the body. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, you know, life took you through extreme <laughs> extreme wake ups to, you know, to get to that place. But it sounds like they've been the you know the steps. And for, you know, if, if there are people out there experiencing disassociation, even just starting with things like, you know, like some self-touch and, mm-hmm. and gently attuning like, oh I I have a body. <laughs> I can okay. feel sensation. It's here. You know, just in little little um, bite-sized pieces. And I think what you touched on before about co-regulation is really important if there has been disassociation for traumatic reasons, um, you know, those traumatic reasons are valid and the nervous system has been trying to keep you safe. Um and so to re journey back through those spaces with somebody that you trust, with somebody that's um yeah, that's literally helping to create a sense of safety for your nervous system to relax and unwind inside of. So yeah, I think for me personally, I think that from disassociation embodiment practice is I don't want to say essential, but I could I mean
0: for you. For me. Yes. For but you. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's
1: right. Because it's because gonna be different for everyone. It's gonna be different for everyone. However, um I think the reason that I was leaning a little bit more onto that emphasis was because it's a nervous system dysregulation. It's yeah. a if we If we look at top down approaches where which is more a, a cognitive approach, talk therapy to unpack history mm-hmm. that is extremely effective, something like ifs is extremely effective, but I think what we 're starting to understand more and more now in nervous system exploration is that um it's it, it become, it's it 's like a disease it 's happening in the mm-hmm. body, meaning that if there's a dysregulation in the nervous system, it's the nervous system that has to be attended to. We, we're now including these bottom-up approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least in my experience, when I had a, a big dysregulation, it was the two things together, marrying together, the top-down and the bottom-up together, that really created that uh, sense of both healing and integration. So, um, yeah, I feel like for, because disassociation is disembodiment, then safely coming back into the body you know mm-hmm. is, a, is is a big part of the process and i
0: think what i realized uh, relatively recently is that because co-regulation didn't really come like the word didn't really come in until probably the yin training i knew about it but like yeah. i didn't experience it so directly which i'll say kind of what happened but first um then i realized that like that's literally what i've been doing i've been going to all of these practitioners, all of these trainings to get co-regulation, yeah. to get the tools and, and knowledge that I need to self-regulate, yeah. but also to experience the co-regulation. To experience
1: compassionate support, Yeah,
0: right? Yeah. yeah. And, also, and I feel
1: like they're those two wings, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And also, I was going to go back to when we were talking about like, the energy moving through us. When that fully happened, my mom was on the training with me. You know, and of course, we all have different relationships with our parents. Right. And, um, you know, that'll another conversation for another time. That's a whole other conversation. Do that one with my therapist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, at least I had, it was a room of like 2,000 people. Right. So I wouldn't have necessarily felt safe to allow this that. This is the to Joe Dispenza course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so when that happened, though she was with me, and so I could, and and it felt like a relief. It was like, oh my god, it's finally
1: ready to like move through. What felt like a relief? What What's finally ready to move through?
0: I had associated it with where we had talked about different
1: um, where we had. (laughs) Should we pause and say that again? I don't know what that was. (laughs) Okay. what was a relief? What was it that finally moved mm. through? It was
0: like I had reached this point of allowing, I would say I probably associated what you said, like the Shakti moving through as more of a trauma release nervous system rebalance. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's what I feel like I was experiencing at that moment where I was just like, I literally just sobbed afterwards. My body started moving itself, yeah. allowing the energy to move through. and um, And I was just, like oh my god thank you like thank you i've been working so hard for this and i'm i'm ready to allow all these experiences
1: to integrate to release like whatever that may be but just so that sense of relief and gratitude mm-hmm. yeah isn't yeah. that amazing that always seems they go hand in hand right mm-hmm. or that or that in that process of healing there's often this big swell of gratitude oh my gosh. even gratitude for the whole uncomfortable process mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like for life, <laughs> you know, like this this journey, right?
0: And it just feels so expansive. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that was a really that was a
1: beautiful moment. Yeah, and, and that your mum was there. That significance of mm-hmm. that allowed a sense of safety and co-regulation mm-hmm. that allowed mm-hmm. for that to happen. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah.
0: and then but then it kept unwinding. Right, You know, and it's still unwinding (laughs) to this day and where you talk about like that trust and like the safety and I don't know that I've mastered that full surrender because there's still a little bit bit of resistance and control of the experience because when your body does start moving itself, you're a little bit like what's happening, you know, but then there are times when it feels very expansive afterwards where it's just like this is, this is an incredible experience. Okay, so we took a little pause there, and uh, I wanted to go back to when we were talking about like dissociation and like things that maybe we could do mm-hmm. when we're by ourselves to yeah. bring ourselves back in our body, yeah. and you were talking about kind of like squeezing mm-hmm. and touching. And I think when I was in that Embodied Feminine course mm-hmm. and there were some really profound like tools that were available, yeah. and you had brought in somebody to teach the Arvigo Mayan abdominal massage, yeah. And I have a really long history of hating on my body and body shame and especially when it comes to the belly. And uh, so that's been a part that like definitely has needed some compassion and attention. And so that, like learning that technique of doing like a self belly massage was so profound for me of just like even just touching myself in
1: that way, you know? And in that part of my body that's really sensitive. So the thing is with our bodies is that they store our history, right? So um, they store things that have happened to us, the way we've experienced things that have happened to us, our behaviors, our patterns, our thoughts, our feelings. Um, So there are specific practices in the Embodied Feminine Program that go in and address um, the more feminine areas. So we store a lot in our bellies, we store a lot in our wounds Mm. um, and in our reproductive organs. And so um, we explore what we call pelvic wellness, which is in the same way that with the yin training, we're working with the fascia of the whole body, Mm -hmm. understanding that we store, you know, and we know from our own direct experience, right, you store tightness in your shoulders or you just rest in your jaw, you know. So we start to, in, you know, in the health trainings, we start to unpack where we store certain things and how to you know mm-hmm. how to work with that. So in the embodied feminine practices, um, we also explore internal practices, working with the inside of the pelvis, mm-hmm. where women store a lot of their trauma. Um, so the Arvigo technique that you were talking about, it's specifically about realigning the uterus in its position in the womb, because it. Uh, the, the uterus sits on kind of a sling, and it can easily dislodge. It's designed that way mm-hmm. so that we, you know, so that we can have babies. Um, but when it dislodges, it actually affects not only our physical body. Um, it can create discomfort and pain. It can create hormonal imbalance, but it can also affect our sense of self. It can mm-hmm. affect our mental and emotional, you know, realities. So we learn these practices of kind of realigning. But while they're doing these deeper structural realignments and they're helping unpack the history from the tissue and all of these things, they're all just so, like you are experiencing, just wonderful ways to directly reconnect with your own body mm-hmm. and to create sort of daily practices, mm-hmm. ways that we can attune. In the nervous system regulation practices that, um, that we do on the upcoming nervous system regulation training, we learn very specific practices for a disassociation. Very specific practices for anxiety. Very uh, specific practices for rage and an incomplete fight response. So um, things that you can do, ways to work directly with the vagus nerve or directly with certain um, imbalances of the nervous system. And they're little practices.
0: Do you want to show us one?
1: Yeah. Well, the vagus nerve moves moves up through the neck and up through the ears, so it's going to be a little difficult to do with the headphones on.
0: You can take them off for a moment. Yeah? Yeah? Okay,
1: let's do that. So you can take your hands and separate your index finger and your middle finger, just place those fingers either side of the ear, and then by gently massaging up and down the front and back of the ear. So there's a branch of the vagus nerve. Your vagus nerve runs from your gut to your brain. And so it runs from the belly up through the neck and into the head. And there's an auricular branch, which means an ear branch, that extends into the ear. So here, you're starting to massage the vagus nerve directly. And already, this is chilling me Mm. out. So this is something I do really regularly, Mm -hmm. moment to moment. If I'm starting to feel a little anxious, a little stressed, then, you know, just doing a practice like this helps me to calm and kind of land back in my body. Mm. So for uh, disassociation, for example, when you start to notice that you're, Checking out, there's a practice that um, Peter Levine, are you mm-hmm. aware of Peter yeah. Levine? He has a great practice called VU. So we could try that together okay. if you want to. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. So placing your hands over your lower belly. If it feels comfortable, go ahead and close your eyes. If that feels overwhelming at all, then just finding a soft gaze. Or if
0: you're listening while you're driving or something. Please don't close your eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a good idea. Actually,
1: don't do this until you're not driving. <laughs> and then... Taking a moment just to notice your belly. To the best of your capacity, see if you can drop down to an awareness of where your hands are touching your belly, maybe attuning to the sensation, even if it's not a strong sensation. It's a little awareness. And then starting to notice the breath. See if you can feel a little movement of the inhale and the exhale. And then in a moment together, we're going to take a breath in. And when we exhale, we'll make the sound V double And we're going to do that. Let's do that three times just to get a sense of it. And you want to allow the vibration of the sound to emanate deep down in your belly, like you were sending the sound down into your deep abdomen. So let's try that together. Exhale the breath you're on. Take a nice deep breath into your hands, letting your belly fill and swell. Two more times, feeling the vibration in your belly. And just take a moment to notice the impact of that. And whenever you feel ready, opening the eyes or lifting your gaze. Mm. So it's a nice, simple practice that just helps if there's some disassociation, just, just to ground you and bring you back into the moment. And there's all these like, little nervous system hacks. you know. That's really what the Nervous System Regulation Program is about. We learn how to teach yoga nidra. We learn how to teach restorative yoga. But it's really like a third of the... Training is really centered around learning all of these particular vagal toning um, Practices to bring the nervous system back online and they're great because you can use them moment-to-moment moment in your life You know, it's interesting. So the viewing that we just did and
0: talking about co-regulation earlier So when I came to the yin teacher training, which was just this past year in 2022 um Something everybody kept telling me, like there's something, or like this intuition was like there's something that I need from Tina. Mm. I don't know what it is, but there's something because like I don't, I didn't practice yin. Yeah, really. I did it, and yeah. and the yin. So I was kind of like I could, I could learn yin. I could learn to teach yin. You know, that's short. <laughs> I, I could do that. Like <laughs> yeah, but there's something. Yeah, there's something about like the way that you teach, the dropping into the body, and. But I really think the most profound moment. So. Right before I came on the training, I was in another accident, yeah. and it was on the same side of my body. It was yeah. a motorbike accident here in Bali. I burned my leg. It got infected. Um, and so then I couldn't really actually do most of the
1: yoga. Well, <laughs> couldn't you, though? Why? I mean, the way that you practice the yoga, I think, was profound. Yeah. yeah. And very self-tuned. Like, mm-hmm. it feels like these um, injuries or impediments are, are such gifts for your internal listening, because mm-hmm. you had to stay so connected to it. Where am I at? Is this mm-hmm. still, am I, you know, mm-hmm. like, which is, I mean, that's such a gift. Yeah. You know? and,
0: and that's really been the track record of all the accidents that's is right. when I start moving too quickly and I move out of like the stillness and attunement. And then it's just like, I, cause I like to move at a quick pace. Right. And the universe is telling me, but that's not the pace. Yeah. I was going to say,
1: which part of you <laughs> likes to move? It? My
0: old self. <laughs> I don't know what part. <laughs> Maybe not your body, not my body. But who knows?
1: Yeah, and so,
0: but so when I came to that training, and then I was having these moments of like full on. So it had basically retriggered. I, I believe this is the story, right? I, it had retriggered everything that was left from that initial accident. Yeah, because it was on the same side of the body. I'd done this whole like six year journey. It's like
1: let's revisit that and let's pull revisit up the, the last of bit of the. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so, which was pretty traumatic, to be honest. Yeah, of course. And um, so, I was very grateful to have a space, a safe container to be within in that moment, and to like have the option to go back into my body again. Yeah. You know, but I think one of the most profound things was when I was experiencing like full on like dissociate dissociation, which I didn't know that's what that was you kind of pulled me over, I was like, would you like to do a few exercises? Yeah. And I was like, I guess, but maybe I could just go sleep.
1: Yeah. Could I just go get a snack? Can I or... just go lay down?
0: <laughs> I think I need to go lay down, like, mm, do some yeah. meditation. You're like, no, let's go do some, let's do some things. And so we did, and we sat down, and um, you did the viewing with me, and you were holding that space for me to be able to come back into my body and I did and it was like holy (laughs) shit it works I was like whoa (laughs) and but I think what was so profound about it was that not only that it happened but I had been associating what was happening to me in those moments because it happened quite a bit throughout life
1: yeah
0: um of it being a result of my brain injury so I was I was attaching to Oh my God, I've got to go lay down, do a yoga nidra. I need to like, got and I was it. putting myself in these free states that was just perpetuating the same.
1: And yet there was disassociation way before the, yeah. the accident. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's just now coming into like a very, yeah, I think because I am in my body more, it's a more noticeable happening. that yeah. happens.
1: I want to um, just share with the listeners as well. Um, because of Brittany's physical injuries on the training and her willingness to just kind of go in anyway and journey, Brittany discovered, I'd really love to hear more about your internal experience, a way of practicing where there was you know, obvious limitation to mobility and movement and things that she could and couldn't do physically, but um, you were doing the practice mentally, with, mentally mm-hmm. with visualization. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah,
0: so the thought kind of came from Dr. Joe Dispenza, yeah. he, in his um, in his retreats, he talks about, or in his books somewhere, he talks about these studies of people playing the piano. And, um, like, two groups did it. One group actually went and, like, practiced the piano every day, and then one group just mentally played the piano. Yeah. And they came back, and they basically had the same results. Right. And so... I was like, okay, so I can't do these morning practices, but I'm here. So, like, what can I do? And I would practice them in my mind. And because of the way that you teach, and it's so, like, it's it's such an easy way for me to, like, be embodied. I could really, like... I knew what to do as you were guiding it.
1: Yeah. So even though you were mentally doing it, you were still tracking it as a felt sense in the body. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the point. And so,
0: and then when I was tracking that, I was having full waves yes, of love. Like totally. I was just having this I like saw. ecstasy of like joy, especially. And your body was
1: releasing in certain ways and opening in areas and mm-hmm. all with this internal movement of energy. Mm-hmm.
0: So really, we don't have to do anything. We can just yeah. sit there
1: and well, do it. I mean, I think what's so beautiful about that is to, is to get a sense that embodiment doesn't have to mean movement. movement. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to mean, like, you can do it at any stage at, in any way. Mm-hmm. Like, you can be injured. You could be in hospital. You could be elderly mm-hmm. and incapacitated. You could be, you know, menstruating and and not be wanting to move. It mm-hmm. could be. There are ways of being in the body in these incredibly safe and powerful and transformative ways that don't. Require strength or movement or agility or any mm-hmm. of those things. Mm-hmm. Like often, I think we equate embodiment with exercise and movement, and that's not necessarily entirely the case. Right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty. Yeah, it was really a beautiful experience. Yeah, it was a beautiful experience to witness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just me,
0: ha, ah! <laughs> sitting on the mat, like oh it was, like moment. Every time we would come up into like for the sun sal- salutation, and you would just like. Raising your arms and I was just I didn't I don't think I did it because I was doing it in my mind I could have of course raised my arms, but I think I was just like like Imagining them just being like oh mm. just so open mm. and it just like just rushes. Of, yeah. Yeah energetic. The
1: impact our mind has on our body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the mind-body connection. Yeah, yeah. mind-body spirit connection mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. You've talked can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, so um The mind-body-spirit connection is really the basis of everything that I'm teaching. Um, And it kind of, the way that I have taught over the years, I've been uh, teaching for over 22 years and it's um, evolved. And so the courses that I offer, the programs that I offer, are kind of an echo of that um, evolution. So when I first started, as I mentioned, exploring the mind-body connection, I was looking at systems. So one of the most efficient maps of the mind-body connection that I found in my inquiry was the Chinese medicine system. Because it speaks directly to the hundreds of thousands of meridians that, uh, that make up the energy body, and how to work with them directly, and how these meridian pathways are what connect your mental body, emotional body, intuitive bodies to the physical body, and how we can work with the channels. And then I found a yoga therapy program, a two-year full-time yoga therapy program, which um, taught me the foundation of how to work with meridians inside of movement and yoga. So that became like a foundational structure. And it was so beautiful, that practice for me, because for many years, it was an outside-in practice, but it birthed very direct experience. What do you
0: mean by outside-in?
1: I mean, I would learn... This is, this is your liver meridian. Mm. These are the postures you can do to work with your liver meridian. The liver, I would learn cognitively, is where we store anger and suppression that leads to judgment, that leads to control. That you know, I would learn these things, and so then for an entire period of spring, the whole season of spring, which relates to the wood element, the liver channel, I would do yoga for the liver. And so, you know, I was outside in, I was learning where they were, I was learning the practices, I was learning what to do, I was learning what it was about. But then I was on the mat every day doing that, Mm. you know, and we did it for two years. So we went through all of the seasons, which meant that inside the postures, I started to have these very direct experiences of like, whoa, okay, just like, Mm. you know, you did the voo and also like you're like, whoa, it really (laughs) works. So I started learning what the Liver Meridian was for me. And what the wood element was for me, and what was you know was stored in my body in the groin and in the inner thighs, and the, you know. But at that stage of the practice, I was able to therefore not just get on the yoga mat and do a downward dog and not know what I was doing. I could direct it. I could have um, reason and structure and purpose and intention. But what was happening is I was bringing a lot up to the surface right mm-hmm. bringing a lot of it to the surface and I not yet developed the tools to be with what was arising mm-hmm. it was like okay i'm just feeling quite emotional <laughs> and a little overwhelmed and i wasn't really sourcing that place of clarity i wasn't yet anchoring into that place of self mm-hmm. that we talk, talked mm-hmm. about before that then could go in and integrate you know all of those things so then eventually I came across yin yoga. So that style of practice, that original style, I call yoga therapy. And I teach people that system, the yoga therapy system of working with the meridians, learning the system to work with their mm. bodies. But then the yin yoga practice goes deeper. Then it's like, okay. <laughs> so now you've got five minutes to sit with your liver channel. And Can in, you
0: explain a little bit about what yin is? We've talked a lot about it. Yeah. This, okay. But, good idea. Yeah. Let's,
1: yeah. Great. So yin yoga is a style of yoga when you're in a posture for five minutes and it accesses deeper tissue in the body. So rather than actively stretching a muscle like a regular yoga asana, you're surrendering your entire body to gravity inside a certain shape. So it's really about letting go, letting go, letting go. And as your body um, drops deeper and deeper in the postures, you're getting into a deeper tissue called fascia that starts to unwind. And it's recognized now that... and Learn from your own direct experience that it's within the fascia that we store a lot of our, you know, our mental emotional content. Connective
0: tissue.
1: That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Often I'm just assuming these things, right? So yes. So fascia is this uh, connective tissue that connects everything to everything else. It's like an internal stocking in the body. And when you're in these postures, it starts to like create space and openness. So in the same way you stretch a muscle, this creates even deeper movement, internal movement and flexibility. So inside of that, you're in a posture for five minutes and you've got nowhere to go. <laughs> you can't distract yourself or, you know, I mean, you can, you could try. But if you've got, you know, a teacher like me in the room, I'd be like. <laughs> yeah. Come back, come back. And what's happening now? And yeah. now. <laughs> so um, so the, the invitation is for these little spaces of as you're working with the energy body and the deeper tissue and things are coming to the surface, then is how do I be with that? How do I be with what arises? So that's when we start to explore the mindfulness practices, the two wings of presence, how to hold and embrace what's there, and start to notice the reactions in the mind. How to be empowered with choice in the face of what's happening in your mm-hmm. mind, where you can, first of all, be aware of your reactions, and then um, work with them in a way that creates space and for transformation. So, um, yeah. So. That's what happened in my life. Mm. And then that's the way that I teach. So there's the yoga therapy and then the yin yoga. And then there's the embodied mindfulness, which is going into that even deeper. So that's when, rather than creating a structured practice, just like we've talked about, um, rather than going, okay, I'm gonna sit down and do liver postures, I sit down and ask the body, what's, what does the body want to do today? And the body will start to unwind. So the evolution of going from structure to surrender and then you know the embodied mindfulness training is all about that and mm. exploring that, and um, as well as starting to incorporate more Buddhist psychology and more other ways of being with what arises. Yeah. And what then, do you mean
0: by being with what arises?
1: I mean that um, if I'm inside a practice and a whole lot of um, stored anger comes up, where we all of a sudden just might feel incredible amounts of overwhelming rage. Mm what the hell do I do with that? (laughs) Yeah. Right? What do you do with Yeah. Yeah. How do I, first of all, anchor into a part that's aware of that rather than it's just totally identified as the anger? How do I settle into the part that's able to be with the anger? And then what are the tools that I could use? What are the self-compassionate tools that I could use? What are the um, inquiry tools that I could be with that part of myself? What's making you so angry? That must be really hard. Being curious about that part and what it needs to you know, to integrate how to move anger through the body, like when the nervous system is needing an incomplete fight response to move through the body, some push-hand practices, there's there's specific practices, Mm -hmm. somatic experiencing practices that are helpful in moving it through the body, like how to be with these things. Anger is
0: such a tricky one. Isn't it?
1: Oh, my goodness. It's because it's so uh, um, overwhelming, Mm -hmm. fear Mm -hmm. and anger, Mm -hmm. and, I mean, all it. Grief yeah. and shame and <laughs> a big one, right? Guess, but is yeah, a big speaking one. Speaking for me, anger. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I yeah, that. Has been
0: more of a tough one to be in. Yeah,
1: yeah. And also because, um, you know, all of these really have their place, mm-hmm. and I think that's what's so important about embodiment is it's not like, oh, anger's arising, anger's bad. We need okay. to do something with that. Do something with that to get rid of that. Like often anger arises as part of the healing Mm -hmm. like the parts that have not stood up for themselves or not expressed themselves or not taken up space or not the suppressed shadowed parts come up and they're like i'm here (laughs) i have a voice and my voice matters Mm -hmm. and you know we move away from being suppressed and abused to being empowered through the energy of anger Mm -hmm. like it's about learning how to really attune to what the anger is is it just a reaction from you know control or needing to you know mm-hmm. or is it ah, an expansion or how, how yeah how to work with these things it gets more and more subtle as your embodiment journey moves along you know yeah
0: and that's one of the very first things that you did with us in the 200 hour like in the very first time we met was you know, sitting with different emotions and seeing yeah. how the expansion and contraction
1: feel within your body. Yeah, because often we don't even notice. Mm-hmm. You know, if I sort of say to someone, um, so, sorry, if I say to someone, um, you know, feel a memory of anger, how are you feeling? And, you know, they might start to say, "Oh, I'm just feeling really, you know, be inside the story. And where mm-hmm. are you noticing that in your body? And at first, or people are often like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. You know, well, I'm, I'm noticing that it's just, it's not okay. They were like, like yeah, I totally get that. And, mm-hmm. and are you noticing something in your stomach or your like, well, I'm just feeling really angry. It's like, what does that feel like? Like it can take a little while for us to register. Oh, my fists are actually clenched. Mm-hmm. My jaw is clenched. I can feel like tightness underneath my scapula. In fact, the back of my heart is closing mm-hmm. and I'm like taking up space with my chest, you know, like we start to notice these things. And because we store the the triggers in the body, then we can be like, "Oh, what happens if I just bring presence to what where that's happening in the shoulders and if that softens, what happens and often underneath that will be actually there's some sadness under that what's under that there's some vulnerability i'm afraid and yeah. you know like, and the body helps the awareness of the body helps to unpack the deeper story than you know just the shells or the reactions on top. There are all these parts that come online to protect these, like, you know, what in IFS we call the exiles, right? Like the more vulnerable parts. All these protective parts come online, mm-hmm. and we, you know, we just get to know each of them through the body in this way, till we get back to like holding the, the original wound.
0: And I think, yeah, that's so beautiful. And I think that the Yin Yoga practice and doing the Yin teacher training. Mm-hmm was so important for me at that point because it is being with what arises, but mm-hmm. allowing the window of tolerance to expand. That's so right. like allowing for
1: that's right.
0: The uncomfortableness of some of these feelings yeah. that I've experienced yeah. to just be with them. Yeah. Whereas normally I would just like jump out of my body of or like go to a workout you know or I mean you can do that as a way to express, but like try to avoid or get away from it, you Yeah, know?
1: Absolutely. That's, uh, that's so true. That's that's one of the greatest gifts, I think, of yin yoga, is the embodied mindfulness aspect because we need to feel to heal. It's a cliche because it's true, right? All the nervous system regulation practices happen through the body, but we disassociate because it's overwhelming to be in the body. It's overwhelming to be with those things in that moment. And so our body, you know, it's, it's designed for our survival. A freeze response is intelligence of the body. But then we learn to like slowly come back in and we do that by creating moments of going, actually, I can be with this really intense sensation. I'm still alive. I'm okay. I'm still here. That was a really intense five minutes in that pigeon pose that was opening stuff in my hip. It was really intense to be with that. But I was able to be with that and I'm here. And next time, I know I can be with that. I'm building a sense of safety and self-trust and trust in the experience, the process. I can be there a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And the beauty of yin is that, exactly as you described, it allows us to get more comfortable in the realm of the uncomfortable. It, it, um, it's empowering because it shows us our capacity. It shows us that we can be with so much more than we think we can. And that, the, yes, there is an inherent movement of the nervous system for our protection to get the hell out of there, fight or flight. It's like, I'm out, you know? And it, that's useful to a degree and then at some point we need to come back in and actually be there and then we can move it through the nervous system and then we have resilience we have um we have life flexibility we don't have to limit ourselves to i i can only do this and this and this because otherwise i can't cope we we develop slowly over time the capacity to be with more and more and to know our inner resources and mm-hmm. to trust ourselves and to Without overwhelming or blasting the system to do it in the ways that actually work, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Yeah, I was gonna go. Shoot, the question just kind of left my mind. It
1: happens, right? Yeah. Like, when you're speaking as well, like so many things I'm will like, come I up. I want to say that. Say that so and that, many. And that. Things. <laughs> I know, right?
0: I th- oh, okay. This is where I kind of wanted to go with that. So, we're, when you're in that in that place, so you're holding a pose for an extended period of time, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to do that necessarily when we first met. I did, absolutely, but I don't believe I was as fully present of the sensations. I probably didn't feel as safe within my body. Yeah. Uh, so as people are maybe experiencing this, part of what you do so beautifully when you're teaching it is incorporating the mindfulness, is incorporating yeah. the, can you speak a little bit to
1: that? Yeah, there's two things I want to say to that. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, um, I'll speak to that direct process. And then I also want to talk about the evolution even of that Mm. for me that happened through my own trauma dysregulation. Um, So in the yin classroom, the way that I work with it um, is really about Self-awareness, like really cultivating moment-to-moment self-awareness, what's happening now and what's happening now. And potentially you notice that the mind behaves in pretty predictable ways. You might be noticing da-da-da-da-da. So, for example, if you're inside a really uncomfortable yin yoga posture, well, you're inside a yin yoga posture and discomfort is arising, (laughs) then, um, you know, you're meeting a part of your body that feels tight or stuck, and it's, it's challenging to be there then what we start to notice is um, what in Buddhism they refer to as aversion. So this feeling of like, oh, I want to shift. I want to move. I don't want to sit with it. The- like, I want to get out of here, you know. I so, had that last night in class. Right. I mean, yeah, we all do. It's yeah. That's the point, mm. is that these are predictable movements of mind that everybody in the room is experiencing. They don't go away. We're just like, oh, there's a version, my old friend. Come on in, you know. Like, so yeah, we're designed to. If you put your hand in the fire, it's going to burn. So don't put your hand in the fire. Like that's part of our wiring to keep us alive, but it becomes overarching, and then it doesn't allow us to, you know, be able to be in emotional fires or to go back into places of stuckness where um, becoming more curious about them and to be able to be with them is where healing happens, right? So um, we're inside a challenging physical sensation and I start to just bring attention to what's happening in people's minds. Is there a desire to move, shift, and fidget? And people are like, ha, huh. <laughs> is she in my head? It's like, it sure, sure <laughs> is
0: happening yeah. right now.
1: That's a human experience. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, if you're not shifting or moving, perhaps the mind starts to go... Oh, how much longer? I think we've been in it for about a minute. We've got about three minutes. Oh, God, can I... You know, we start to track time or the mind will start to, um, you know, just distract, just think about something else so I don't have to be here feeling this. So we notice aversion. And then other ways that we, you know, either it's the flight, let's get out of here, or the fight, the mind starts to go into judgment, complaint, and preference. Mm. I hate this posture. Oh, my God, that person beside me, oh, this smell. I (laughs) I can't. And it's this blanket, it's so... It's moldy, you know, like lots of complaint. Or just like, oh, I hate this pose. I hate this part of my body. Why am I here? I hate yoga. Like the stories, you know, totally normal.
0: And how often do we experience those things in everyday life? Everyday life. What's
1: happening on the mat is just a mirror of it's just noticing aversion. It's Mm -hmm. just reactivity to what's comfortable and challenging when we're triggered. So it's so useful to be able to be like, oh i can see a version i'm not a version i can see a version arising within me and from that position of being able to see it we start to slowly recognize oh i have some choice in that i have some agency mm-hmm. and i can go i can't make that not come you can't stop the mind you can't stop whatever arises but you can be with it mm-hmm. in with much more capacity than we think we can, you know, we can be like, "Oh, there's my old friend, aversion." You know, <laughs> you're welcome to be here, but you know, what? we're good. I'm, you know, I'm here. You know, it's bringing our awareness back into the position of that which is noticing, that which is feeling the breath, that which is anchored in the body, while noticing all the thoughts. Yeah and that all of a sudden just creates all of this space and you can sit in that part and then start incorporating those two wings i can be in that place of presence that's allowing those thoughts to come and to go i'm not attaching to them and making them who i am but i'm also being really kind with myself like yeah i hear you thanks for trying to keep me safe this is this is tough this is hard but you know we've got this and sending some love to your experience and like It trains us up how to hold those little five minute windows, trains us up how to hold ourselves in places of discomfort. And it radically expands our window of tolerance, our capacity to be with sensation. And what we start to notice, similar to what we notice in the Vipassana practices when there are seated meditations in retreats, is that, you know, you'll hear this quote often that um, pain is inevitable, but suffering is choice. And it meaning that the sensation is there. And how we experience that sensation, there's some flexibility around that. Mm. And the more that we have resistance to the sensation and complaint and aversion and we're just increasing our suffering, but that we can learn to be with that sensation in a way that we take off all those layers of um, of invasion or interference and then it's just awareness and compassion and sensation. And that's a very different story. And that's where healing and transformation starts to happen in that And it may take a while to get to that point. Oh, God, absolutely. (laughs) It may take a while, and that leads, great segue, because that leads me to my next point, is that, you know, in the trauma world, we talk about big T's and little T's. Mm. So um, in little T's, well, so big T's and little T's stands for little traumas and big traumas, Mm. right? So um, if there are smaller traumas, then, you know, we can build our window of capacity around them. And depending on the impact or the trigger, one day, yeah, yeah, I got it. The next day, totally don't have this, you know, like, so it's, it's not linear, even though it can be to some degree, it's also, you know, the life journey. But in my own direct experience, I had been doing that work for a very long time. And then I experienced some pretty significant back-to-back traumas that involved me witnessing some pretty violent deaths and experiencing deaths of very close loved ones and going through some Pretty severe personal crisis, and I had a, a very intense nervous system dysregulation where I developed uh, anxiety disorder and panic attacks that were that made me um, that, that rendered me non-functioning for a little while. You know, like I it was like kind of like riding a bike into a wall, where life was like, okay, we're stopping now. <laughs> like we we need to you know really attend to this, and it was very challenging for me because the tools in my tool belt that I had to that point. Of, okay, let's just sit and be with this. Mm-hmm. Um, my nervous system was so dysregulated that I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And that was very scary for me because you know it just it just pulled out the foundation and I didn't have a resource that I could be with. It was outside of my window of tolerance. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, well, then what have I got? You know what have I got now? And that was Grace. (laughs) Didn't feel like at the time, because Grace has claws sometimes. But that was Grace kind of going, okay, we've done all this little T work. Now we're going to go into some big Mm T's, and we're going to lay a deeper foundation. And that's when I met incredible trauma therapists, and I started learning much more about the nervous system. Um, And I worked very directly. I worked with my IFS therapist three times a week in the Mm -hmm. beginning. You know, I was working with my somatic experiencing therapist. I was doing learning all of the vagal toning stuff, like doing all the things. I had incredible support. I managed to bring myself... Co-regulation. Incredible yeah. co-regulation. Mm-hmm. And then managed to bring myself back into balance. Also had you know, family support, incredible friend support. Um, managed to get back to a, a place of stability, and then that then encouraged me to do even deeper work. And I had these new tools um, that I was adding to my old tools of being able to go deeper. And again, I think that's like a you know, it's a it's a never ending journey. But um and that, you know, being me, that then birthed a whole new direction with my work. Mm. You know, I always want to teach from a place that's really alive in me and what I'm really passionate about. And now what I'm really passionate about is what I learned Mm -hmm. (laughs) in that time. It's like, yeah, we are living in a time of significant global collective trauma. Mm -hmm. Like Never before has it been more important to know how to regulate our nervous systems, right, right? right? And so my faculties, in the same way that in your podcast, you're bringing on the people that have been, the, the people that supported you on your journey, it's the same with my faculties, like my trauma trainings and my nervous system regulation trainings, my faculty, so it's me and the, the therapist that supported me on my journey. Mm-hmm. So it's very personal, profound um, work for me, you know? And, yeah, and I speak about that just to say that this idea of, you know, oh, now I've got this. I've been doing yin yoga for 10 years, and now I'm, a, you know, it's like, do, well,
0: do do. Well, here we, here's another chance. <laughs> here's life. See something else. That's yeah. right, exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's life, and to trust that life is always serving us, even though it might not feel like it, you know, yeah, so often. Years. Yeah, and that there's always something in there, and it might take a little while and a whole lot of support and courage, and um, but we... We get there, and then we have new tools that that take us deeper, and also can take others deeper. We can support others with more capacity and compassion.
0: And I do feel really privileged in my own journey of like having the access to be able to do all of that. People yeah. may not necessarily be totally. able to access all of the things that we accessed, totally. and you know, do it as maybe as I don't want to say quickly because it wasn't quick, but like I had consistent support. Yeah,
1: Um, that's so true, right? I mean, yeah, it's therapy can be expensive, you know, so I think that's why it's so important to learn these kind of tools that can support you for Mm self-regulation, because co-regulation is so useful. And I'm very grateful as as I hear that you are, that we've had that support, Mm -hmm. but not everybody does. And there are ways to, you know, um, to, to show up for yourself, there are self-regulating techniques and self-compassion techniques and things that you can learn and things that, you know, that both of us will be offering where people can support and hold themselves and hold the people that they love in their lives that don't have access to these, to therapy.
0: I did want to ask you, what did you notice, like, what did you notice that shift from how you taught before and then you had this experience and now how you teach now?
1: Love. Yeah. I mean, that's what's so beautiful about what you're doing here is love. That was the really, I mean, there were of course, there, there's there's lots of things that's overarching, but um, I learned to work with the nervous system with more specificity. But really, um, in terms of the way I was holding myself and holding what was arising, it was really strengthening up the compassionate wing. Mm. You know, they call the vagus nerve the compassion nerve. Another, another word for it. I
0: haven't heard that. Yeah,
1: and the, the way that it, you know, that, that um, what happens in the brain, how it uh, integrates with empathy. and So, yeah, for me, my nervous system, in the same way you have a crying baby, you're not going to sit with a crying baby, or I wouldn't sit with a crying baby, and, you know, just tell them to watch their mind, you know, <laughs> just be present. You yeah. pick them up and you swaddle them and wrap them and contain them and soothe them and sing to them and... You know, like there's vibration, neuromodulation, you yeah. know, the nervous system, it's a mammal. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. a, it, it's a, its the body and the body, my body mm-hmm. radically heals through love. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we come into the world needing to be held yeah. <laughs> and it's holding ourselves in each other with love that creates well-being and thriving and, it's the separation and isolation like we've experienced like never before. Right. But like, you know
0: And not just like relational love. We're talking
1: about like All of the, it o- all. global, community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Self love. Mm-hmm. I mean the way that we speak to the voice in our head, the way oh, that gosh, we yeah. you know like constant practice. For constant me. practice. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, rather than just watching the voice in the head, being aware of it, self compassion, how mm-hmm. to transmute that with love, how to transmute the body and the nervous system with loving touch, how to, how to offer the loving wing. I think that was the the biggest recognition for me, even though I was aware of that before and working with that to a degree, I had to amp that baby up. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that was, that was the big piece, I think.
0: And I think what's so interesting about all the work that you do and like the practices of embodiment, it's, not only that we're coming into our body, but when we come into our body, we come into like different brainwave states that are like more healing and more relaxing and allowing for us to get deeper into those thoughts. Because I'm sure I'll say this a million times on, on this podcast journey, but Dr. Joe says that 95, and I'm sure he got it from somewhere else. I don't know where the reference comes from, but... 95% 95% of our thoughts are the same thoughts as the right. day before. Right. So like if we're just working with the same 95% of thoughts every day, of yeah. course things won't change unless we drop into our body. Unless and the conscious and the
1: subconscious that, you know, we, we're not even aware of the subconscious stuff that's in there, right? Right,
0: right. And so shifting through these embodiment practices and allowing those brainwaves to slow down, come into these deeper states of healing mm-hmm. so that your body can heal, so that you can... Recognize become sit with the thoughts, you know, and allow them to come forward so that you can shift them
1: one hundred percent Yeah, I feel like um, you can sit with them and shift them. Yeah. Yeah in in the embodied practice through the body. Yeah. Yeah Yeah, absolutely. I think that you know in a way an embodiment practice is twofold one is that um, The body is this direct portal to presence, Mm. you know when I'm aware of the sensations in my body. They're happening now The the breath is happening now like it's not before or future, uh, past or future, there's this sense of, um, yeah, it brings you into the present, and it's by the present moment that we you know shift these brainwave states. And of course, there are other ways to do that, but the body's just a really effective way for presence for me. And then inside of that embodied presence, then we can start to tap into the subconscious and where it's stored in the tissue, and we can anchor into presence and be with that, you know, it just keeps going deeper. but. Um, for me and and in the world of, of health, like the the, the stuff that I teach is, is through the body, Mm -hmm. you know, in the body of the body through the body. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what I love.
0: I love it too, obviously.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, I wanted to go back.
0: So you had spoken a little bit to the traditional Chinese medicine and that being your background can, I don't know that we paired that with the yin yoga. Can we just talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Yeah. So it's, um, It's working with the meridian pathways. There are 12 primary channels in yin yoga that feed into the 12 organ systems. So the um, Chinese system works with those uh, organ systems and divides them into the five elements. And it's really, it's a Taoist practice. It's really recognizing that the cycles that move through nature move through us and how we can um, kind of uh, attune to our own cycles working with this particular system and it's recognized that these meridian pathways conduct their life force through the fluid in the connective tissue in the fascia. So in Yin Yoga, you work with specific areas of fascia connective tissue in a certain posture or um, asana, and therefore you're working with a specific channel that feeds into a specific organ. So you can create your practice to be quite intentional, do a practice to recharge, reboot the energy in the kidneys if you're exhausted or run down. Or a detox practice working with the liver, or um, a lung practice if you 've been experiencing grief or loss or you know these kinds of mm-hmm. things, so this kind of creates this container you know we have this structure that we can work inside of, but then it 's all just you and you, you know then it's like mm-hmm. inside the posture while you 're working with that you know that meridian, that organ, that area of tissue, then you know what's stored in that part of your body. Um, Arises and then there's the mindfulness practice of being with that and that's how they kind of come together Mm. Because the yin practice very specifically works with that um, That system the Chinese system
0: Mm. yeah, and What I've also noticed is that when I'm working with that system whether it's like I need to work with the wood element Or I need to work with the kidneys or whatever that may be for me in that time what I've been noticing is also then the energy starts moving through. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, like, is that just another? What do you do with that? So, describe a little bit
1: more about what you mean.
0: So, when I was in um, saddle pose, so I was sitting on my knees, leaning backwards, and I could feel the fascia was so tight, and so my body starts to—it starts this like quiver mm-hmm. of like the energy starts moving mm-hmm. through. Um, like it's trying to release something. There's something that's stuck that needs to be allowed to move through the body. Do you just sit with that? Like, is that the practice? <laughs> is that the practice of like as surrendering or do you? Tr- yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of like, cause it's this all is when still, that's right? right. This
1: is when it gets interesting in terms of, you know how we were saying now I, I, um, lose the, use these terms of yin or yang or masculine and feminine more loosely. Um, But this is where I would talk about that a little bit more because there are two ways of addressing that. Mm -hmm. The more um, masculine way, which is the yin yoga practice to some degree. This is the beauty about talking about yin and yang is they're relative terms. Mm -hmm. So you're inside a yin practice talking about a yang perspective. So basically what I'm talking about is, you know, we touched on before where I said there's Shiva and Shakti. Mm -hmm. Shiva as the all-encompassing, embracing, Awareness and shakti is the energy that's moving, formless in form. So uh, the more masculine lens would be to sit as the container. The expanding the window of tolerance, sitting as the witness or another, a a girlfriend of mine um, through a lot of conversations just like this actually, Have shifted it to withness rather than witness because it's a little less disassociated, a little more being with it (laughs) But it's still you know that Mm -hmm. resting in awareness Um, and Like Vipassana being in the body with the body, but resting as the awareness so that it just comes and goes and you're just watching the impermanent Fluctuations that's one approach. That's the yin yoga approach Whereas the embodied unwinding approach I would call the more feminine practice Mm -hmm. the more shakti style practice Because it's more about receptivity and surrender so, again, these are loose terms, masculine. It doesn't really matter. Um, but the experience is different. And the experience is that you're in saddle pose and the energy starts to move through the front line. And Maybe your body wants to open and the neck wants to unwind and then it takes okay. you into another. And you're following that current. You're following that unwind. Mm-hmm. And so there's a surrender to that energy rather than being the container that's holding mm-hmm. And allowing uh, internal movement much more subtly mm-hmm. yeah so one is kind of this merging with the intelligence of the energy that's moving and allowing that to reveal mm-hmm. and heal or resting is the intelligence of the all-embracing awareness that's allowing that to be the source of healing and then the body held in that shifts and changes and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and they both. Are incredibly powerful practices, and just different wings, perhaps different, just different ways to approaches. skin a cat. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but don't be doing that. Don't be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Who are we to oh say, Brittany? Oh my! Oh my! Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So that's just it's it's something that I've kind of because I feel like there's a little bit of fear in me. Like I was saying. Yeah. I, I'm still trying to control the outcome. I get that. You know? And of going into... Because I find that my body starts wanting to move when I'm in, like, yoga class. Like, going to, like, a flow class or yeah. a yin class or whatever that is. When I'm in a stagnant posture, my body's like, no
1: way! Like, let's yeah. let's just start... We know what we're doing. I mean, my body sometimes wants to do it in the supermarket. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Or certainly when I'm dancing or making mm. love or there's <laughs> these, you know areas in my life where there is an invitation to surrender, mm-hmm. then, yeah, like... And so what do you do with that? Well, so I did a Vipassana retreat. Okay. I don't know if I should say this on the podcast. <laughs> yes, I don't for it. I'm going to give myself permission. <laughs> um, because it was, that's what it was really about, actually, mm. was it was a bit of a reclamation for me. And it was a reclamation of my self-trust. And okay. for me in that moment, it felt like a reclamation of this feminine way mm. of, of because that's how I was defining it in the moment. But I was I was in a Vipassana retreat and I had just just prior to that I'd been doing a lot of embodied unwinding, like a lot of surrendering, and I was having I mean just such incredible experiences of unwind and clarity and insight. And you know, I would do a practice and then just write for hours and then, you know, think so much integration and alignment and it was incredible. And I came from that space and I had booked my Vipassana six months earlier. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do my Vipassana, but that's not what was happening in the moment. What was happening was the opposite experience and more like we just spoke about the kind of feminine masculine experiences, I was in the other. So then I went to Vipassana and I was sitting there and you know, this Vipassana um, retreat was all about austerity and it has its values and its intentions and its reasons. But in that time I was so in that feminine current that I was being inspired and opened by beauty And by sensory, you know, and we were being told to we were lying on wooden pillows with no mattress on a wooden mattress to, you know, expand our capacity for resilience, like different intentions, you know, whereas I would have been so nurtured and nourished and deeply fueled and healed by the nourishment of lying on a flower bed at that time, you know, like silk and salad. Yeah, because it was opening this love and surrender and receptivity. It's just a different lens. So anyway, I'm sitting inside the hall doing my 10 hours a day of sitting, you know. And luckily it was a vipassana in Thailand where in in Thailand it's slightly different. You can walk for an hour, do walking Mm. meditation and sit for an hour. So there was already a little more movement, a little more body involved in it. But I would sit there, and because that that was moving so strongly in Mm me, it was a really beautiful exploration. I was like, I'm going to reclaim this. I'm going to be here inside of this, you know, masculine system Mm -hmm. because it was being taught. There's a a male Buddhist teacher sitting at the front in these robes doing this, you know. And and please don't get me wrong, such incredible value. It's just there's two. There's yin and yang,
0: and it's where you're at in your journey. That's right. You know, it's That's where right. you are personally.
1: That's so true. Yeah. In, in that very moment, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I'm sitting at the front of my chair. <laughs> and then, because I, I, was, I, I, yeah. I to the fort, yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. And so I would just sit, but rather than you know just watching my mind, I would like just allow this energy to move. But it was so subtle; it would like unwind my shoulder in this subtle way, and then move into the back of my heart, and and then move somewhere, and I was just in that for 10 days, Mm. and it was bliss, Wow, Mm -hmm. and that was so exactly what I needed, rather than, you know, Mm -hmm. the other style of meditation in that moment, so, and then I would also, like, you know, I was walking in nature, and I was, like, just receiving the profound gifts of Nature of beauty of like shakti like and it becomes form so much not more just awareness
0: as well that's the yes. my experience yeah
1: yeah so there was just kind of this reclamation of that part of me being not only valid but like really my pathway mm. and owning that and stepping into that more fully and being like yeah this isn't about getting it right or doing what I'm told or somebody else's way being my way this is this is about what actually opens me? Mm. What actually brings me deeper into love? What actually aligns me with what I, my knowing, what I know mm. to be true? Not what I've been conditioned to think. And often that's just through the lens of my own misinterpretation. How often do we read a text or read a book and we read it five years later and we're like, Ah, oh, my God, I it feels like reading it for the first time? Because we're, we're reading through a lens. We, mm-hmm. We're constantly interpret, in, interpreting mm-hmm. wisdom. And there's so that's such a flawed um, effort, mm-hmm. whereas this is a direct line to you know well, to so, truth, and I'm just so passionate about connecting to that direct line mm-hmm. and encouraging others to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? There's so much emphasis I feel like in this world that we live in on words, yeah. you know, and the words are they can't describe that truth. Yeah, they're you a finger
1: to. pointing to the moon. They're not the moon, right? Yeah, you like
0: have to really. Know what's true for you. That's right.
1: And, and it, that's what the Buddha says, and that's what the, the teachings will say. You'll be reading in a text, that's what, but, but you're still you reading it know in a text. It, you know, it's right. like hasn't that's been
0: right. fully integrated into this
1: experience. That's right. And I think ultimately what I've been discovering in the last, particularly in the last five years, is that um, this external referencing of self is built on a fundamental self, sense of lack of self trust, but lack of self worth. It's like, who am mm-hmm. I to know? These scholars, these sages, these men in robes, these, you know, these, who, who am I? Mm-hmm. But who am I? That's the question. Who oh my am that I? Is like, this is,
0: oh, that is the question that I ask constantly. Yeah.
1: yeah. Like, if you, if all those practices are telling you that it's within you, mm-hmm. and yet who am I to try, like, do you mm-hmm. see my, the little loop that I, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm unwinding is this... It's already you, And you know, for it's already me.
0: Yeah, and in that it's through the experiences That's within right. the body.
1: That's yeah. right, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Ugh, yeah. Okay, there's one one more thing I wanted to talk about and then if there's anything else that um, sure. you had. But I just wanted to go back because we had talked about the embodied feminine and I just wanted to reference because it was such a key piece for me is learning about my, my cycle. And yeah. learning about the body and the different cycles that it goes through throughout the period. Yeah. And so, would you mind speaking to that sure. a little bit? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So I think that's really a big part of embodiment is learning to how to listen to the cycles of our body and how they reflect the cycles of nature. How you know we're one and the same. So in the same way that in uh, Chinese medicine we look at the five elements and the seasons, and you know, in in embodied feminine practice we look at the cycles of the moon. And how we as women are, um,
0: or as people with wombs, as people with, with wombs, wombs mm-hmm. that's
1: absolutely yeah. anyone that menstruates mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> is aligned with these uh, natural rhythms of, of of these particular cycles. And what we can notice is that you know, it's not just about procreation; mm-hmm. it's not just about we ovulate at this time and then we menstruate at this time in order to have a baby. It's so much more than that. At different phases of the cycle, our bodies are producing different hormones that create not only physical experiences but emotional experiences, mm-hmm. availability of amounts of energy, how socially interactive we are, how receptive we are, how creative we are, how you know and it's one of those things that we already know it's just um, learning this stuff gives us an opportunity to look and be like, "Oh yeah." That's that is my experience, you know. That when we're ovulating, we have the most energy. We, mm-hmm. It's like um, summer or a midday in the cycles—daily cycles, yearly cycles, monthly cycles. Um, it's when we are the most creative. When um, we can manifest things in the world. Where we're most available for other people. When we social engagement.
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Whereas the opposite, the menstrual time is when we're our most yin, our most inward. It's new moon as opposed to full moon. It's when we're um, most um, receptive and therefore most sensitive. It's when we might feel like we want space from the world. We might want to go inside. And um, in my opinion, very profoundly so, because it's also when the veils between this realm and the spiritual realm or the conscious and the subconscious are the thinnest. Mm -hmm. So we can tap even more into that internal listening in those times, it's one of the gifts of menstruation. Uh, So we we start to notice that at different times we are feeling different ways. And if we start to notice that that's who we are, that it's inherent, it's innate, our bodies are part of nature, then we can learn to honor that and we can align our lifestyles with that. So rather than just pushing and going and externalizing consistently throughout the month, which, you know, in A my opinion. that's do. Yeah. Absolutely. But what I've noticed in the sort of 12-something years that I've been teaching that work with that focus is that the more we're overriding, the more imbalanced the hormones mm-hmm. become, the more out of balance the um, reproductive system becomes and, you know, our, our Mental like and, and emotional reality. And like all of it just yeah, depletes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Because we can't override our body for too long. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't pretend we're not the earth yeah. and and part of it for too long. It it bounces back. It's yeah. not true. Mm-hmm. What's not true can't it's gonna eventually yeah. <laughs> reveal itself yeah. as not true. That's right. Mm-hmm. So um my work has been very much about teaching that inquiry around your own self-reflection with your own cycles and starting to align your life with that there are certain foods that you can eat at certain times because the brain is working in a certain way and and uh, is nourished by certain nutrition when it's producing certain hormones like there are all these ways you can work with what is instead of against it mm-hmm. to create hormonal harmony and emotional regulation and well-being
0: and that was a whole new concept to me. Right. I think and, to
1: all of us, I, mean, well, I was about to say, all of us when we first learned it. <laughs> but you know, that's right. It's not taught. <laughs> yeah. It's not taught in schools. Right. right? Mm-hmm. My mum didn't teach me that. Mm-hmm. She didn't know, yeah. you know, like, so I think that's why I'm really passionate about teaching it, especially in teacher training. So more people can teach them. Tell your brothers, tell your husbands, tell your sisters, right. tell your mothers, you know, and that's
0: one of the first things that, so you taught the yin class, you taught, uh, honoring your moon cycle. And mm-hmm. so that kind of led me to, That's but right. in that very first 200 hour, those were the things you touched on. And I was like, who is this woman? What, are we do- what have I been doing for the last, you know, 30 right. something years? And
1: all of it, no matter what umbrella that, we, you know, we're studying under, all of those um, things that I'm pointing to are attuning to your body. Mm-hmm. Just attuning to your body in all these different ways. They're all under the umbrella of embodiment and how the body is the barometer for the soul. <laughs> <laughs> And there it Ah, is. (laughs) There it is. That
0: is it. Yeah, and I just had this like beautiful experience yesterday in your yin class where Mm -hmm. it was like I had come full circle. It was just I had listened to the very first yin class that I took from you Mm -hmm. um, on day 10 of Mm -hmm. my 200-hour training, and we did some of the same postures as we did last night in class, Mm -hmm. and... It was just I just had so much gratitude. Mm. There it is, that opening of gratitude that comes, right? Tears and gratitude. Yeah. 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 So thank you.
1: Oh, it's been such a pleasure, Brittany. And what a pleasure this has been. Thank you so much for the invitation.
0: Is there anything else you wanted to touch upon? That feels really complete for me. Thanks for the opportunity. And she has some upcoming trainings.
1: and retreats,
0: can you tell them about it? Sure, yeah, yeah.
1: so uh, you can go to my website, it's held.tinanance, my name, dot .com. We have six 100 hour programs that we offer over a two year cycle. So this year we have um, the restorative yoga nervous system regulation training where you learn about specific practices to tone the vagus nerve and um, help to regulate the system from disassociation or anxiety or depression back into equilibrium. We have an embodied trauma integration training in September, which incorporates somatic experiencing internal family systems that we were speaking to today, um, trauma-informed yoga. Uh, we have the embodied feminine training that we've touched on quite a lot in November this year and then next year We'll have the yin yoga the yoga therapy the embodied mindfulness. So all the information is on my um, my Website so and these are all out.
0: in person in
1: Bali. They're all in person yeah. in Bali We are going to start offering some online trainings eventually next year and on the platform on the on the website You'll also see those online classes that we've started to offer There's a whole lot of nervous system regulation stuff coming out there um, so, yeah, the, we're increasing the online platform so that we can have a wider reach and get these things to people mm-hmm. far great. and wide.
0: That's great. And you have a couple of retreats as well.
1: Yeah, that's right. We have two nervous system regulation retreats. And really, we've kind of done that in response to post-pandemic. Frenzy, living here in Bali, we have so many people that are arriving after the last couple of years that are like, we <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> are like, we just need a space to, you know. So we just created yeah. those containers. So they're like one-week retreats up in this beautiful location in Bali. It's called the Yogi's Gardens, where you're literally eating organic food from mm, the land. I've been there. It's incredible. So, it's so beautiful. beautiful. Mm-hmm. And each day you get these nourishing spa treatments and do self-regulating practices. And, yeah, very nourishing. Um, you also get empowered with a lot of nervous system education so you can learn to regulate your system when you get back home. So, so yeah. if you
0: haven't been to Bali, come. We're yeah. And if not, catch her online. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tina.
1: Thank you.